are kind of excited to, to celebrate this comeback series. We are bringing it to a close today and starting the book of Acts next week as we head to Easter. But this comeback series has been quite a journey. We've gone through the entire scripture and see that the whole thing is a comeback story from the fall of, uh, of Genesis and on page three to the eternal glory of Revelation. All of it is a comeback story. Every story in the middle of the scripture is a comeback story, every single one. And that tells us something profound. It tells us that in this mess that we're going through, 2020, now 2021, this mess that we're going through will have a comeback story that we want to make. We don't want to wait to see the circumstances happen. We don't want to be a victim of the mess of 2020, 2021, and we don't want to just wait around for, for whatever comeback story. We want to write that story. We want to be aggressive about it. We want to change things. We want to be better as a result. So this whole comeback story is about making the story that we want to write so that when we tell our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids about 2020, 2021, and hopefully it's not there, um, we are telling a story of what we made happen, what we made happen, because that's what God does in the pages of the scripture. God works by grace and by strength with people who want to make things happen, who want to bring good to this world, who want to take the world's sufferings and make something strong and better as a result. That's what this comeback series is all about. And today we're going to talk about the greatest comeback series, story of all, which is Jesus Christ himself, his life, his fall, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. I saw this uh, meme. I had to put it up here. It kind of dates me, so it's a little trivia. Is uh, Where's this from? What movie is it from? The Shining, written by Stephen King. All right. Uh, I showed this to uh, I wouldn't recommend that. That's not what we're showing at the grown-up movie night. Uh, <laughs> but I was in the uh, tech, tech booth, and a bunch of kids back there who know their stuff. And I said, do you guys know where this is from? And one, one of them was like, uh, it's uh, Stephen uh, Hawking. <laughs> The Shrier. <laughs> no, no, no. Got a whole bunch of things messed up there. But it kind of dazed me. But the idea is that 2020, 2021, twin horror stories, right? And we kind of hope that 21 would be a little better, quicker. It's not real quickly getting better, but it is maybe getting there, right? So we're seeing some good things happen. It seems to be light at the end of the tunnel, and we're just hoping to have this comeback story written. But we want to write it. We want to seize it. We want to take control because that's what we see happening in Scripture. We've, we've talked about the comeback stories of Adam and Eve, of Cain and Abel, of Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, Joseph, the whole nation of Israel, the story of Job, and last week the story of, of Esther. Uh, Steve Solomon did a great job with Esther last week, one of the best sermons ever preached on this stage. It was fantastic. If you haven't seen it, you've got to go check it out. God is a God of the comeback. Every story is a comeback story, and today we're going to talk about the greatest comeback story ever told the story of Jesus himself. And that story is the very foundation of our lives. If we follow Jesus, we are, are setting our lives upon the story of Jesus' rapid rise, his ascendancy to prominence, his incredibly terrifying fall into the crucifixion, and days later, the incredible comeback of resurrection. Now, to set that stage, I want to start in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we see a sermon, the very first sermon preached after the crucifixion of Jesus. Just 42 days after the crucifixion of Jesus, this sermon by the apostle Peter is preached in the same streets in which Jesus was crucified. Just seven weeks. And it's a story of comeback. Acts 2, 22. People of Israel, thousands are gathered here. It's the Feast of Pentecost. Thousands are gathered. People of Israel, listen. 
God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. And you can imagine the people of Jerusalem are probably nodding their head. Jesus did a lot of his miracles and his preaching in the city of Jerusalem, just a city of about 25,000 people, so not a, a huge city by our standards. And so they either saw Jesus perform these miracles or heard about Jesus performing these miracles, so they're nodding their head. Yes, Jesus was displaying the power of God in this city on these streets. Yes. The sermon goes on. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. This is just seven weeks after the crucifixion. A month and a half after the crucifixion of Jesus, Peter is saying, you murdered Jesus. Attested by God himself. You murdered him. You had Roman help, but you're the ones who shouted on these streets, crucify him. And no doubt their heads were probably hung in some shame. They got caught up in the crowds. They got caught up in kind of this conspiracy that Jesus was a blasphemer and a traitor. And they just whipped up the crowd and they shouted, crucify him. This mob killed Jesus. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For not even death could keep him in its grip. There was the comeback. The resurrection of Jesus. Not even death could seize Jesus. He rose from the dead. He walked out of the grave. So we see in this short sermon, this three-part life of Christ, the rise of Jesus' life, the fall of Jesus' death, and the comeback of Jesus' resurrection. It's a very simple story. This sermon was started with three, three verses. Here's the life of Jesus committed by God, the death of Jesus that was the evil and the terrors of the world poured out upon him, and the resurrection of Jesus, the comeback story. It's all right here. The rise of Jesus' life, the fall of Jesus' death, the comeback of Jesus' resurrection. But before we detail this a little bit more, I want us to be clear about one thing. And this might strike you as a little weird. But the story of Jesus is the story of us all. The story of Jesus is the story of us all. His life, his death, his resurrection is the story of us all. We all live a life. We all suffer to some degree, and we are all invited to come back. The story of Jesus is the story of us all, not just individually, but the story of our world and our nation right now is, is there so much to celebrate. There's life here, but then there's suffering, and then there's a comeback. This rhythm of life, suffering, comeback, that is the story of us all. It's the story of our individual lives. It's the story of nations. It's what we're going through right now. The story of Jesus is the story of us all. Now, this might sit a little bit strange to you because, well, we're not Jesus. So it's hard for us to relate to the life of Christ. It's hard for us to get our minds around this idea that, that the life of Jesus is somehow representative of our life. It's hard for us to connect that, right? He's the one and only begotten true son of God. So how can my life be intertwined with his life? It might also sound strange because we're always taught that Jesus lived, died, and rose again from the dead for us, something that he did for us. So we don't necessarily see his life, death, and resurrection as something we live together with Christ. It's something he did for us. And there's a part of that that's certainly true. Romans 5, 8 says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
So we sin against God. Every single one of us fails. None of us is perfect. But God shows love for us and sends Jesus to share with the world the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and it cost us his life. Jesus loved us to the very end. Goes on to say, since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the resurrected life of his son. So Jesus died for us. Jesus was raised for us to bring forgiveness, to show love, and to give us eternal life. He did it for us. That's true. But trust me, the story of Jesus is more than just what he did for us. Our life is linked with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The story of Jesus is the story of us all. This concept might also sound strange because we might think that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was something in history that happened 2,000 years ago. And so when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about a historical event 2,000 years ago. And so it's hard for us to, to say or to think or to feel that this story is somehow our story today. And it is true that it was an event in history 2,000 years ago that had a real impact, right? First John 2, 2, that he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sin, and not only for our sin, but the sins of the whole world. That that event was the expression of God's atoning grace for all. So yes, it did happen 2,000 years ago. It was a period of history. So how is it possible that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is in fact my story now? Let's talk about this. Let's go to Colossians 3. Colossians 3 gives great detail about how the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is our story. Colossians 3, 4. The life of Christ is your life. The life of Christ is somehow our life. Colossians 3 also says, you died with Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So somehow the death of Christ is our death. The suffering of Christ is our suffering. Colossians 3, again, you have been raised to new life with Christ. So set your mind on the realities of what is above. So the resurrection of Christ is somehow our resurrection. It's somehow our comeback story. So somehow the life of Christ, death of Christ, and resurrection of Christ is our story. The story of Jesus is the story of us all. The life of Christ is my life. The death of Christ is my death. The resurrection of Christ is my comeback. What does that mean? Well, let's chat about it. Let's talk about the life of Christ, the storied life of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, that first sermon that we read, uh, the apostle Peter says that God endorsed Jesus' life. The Father endorsed Jesus' life. Now, that word endorsed in the Greek is apodikonimo. I'm sorry, it's apodikonomi, apodikonomi, apodikonomi. I know it's kind of a tough one. That's what it means in Greek. That's the word that says to endorse or specifically to be proud of or to show off, apodikonomi, to be proud of and to show off. Now, it's totally understandable that God is proud of Jesus and shows off Jesus. And no doubt this is referring to Matthew 317 at the baptism when the father publicly declared his approval of Jesus. Suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God made Jesus at that moment. I'm proud of Jesus. He's my son. I am so happy with him. That's an Acts chapter two sermon. But get this. As God apodikonomes Jesus, he's proud of Jesus. God apodikonomes us. He's proud of us. As God proudly declared Jesus his son, he proudly declares us his children. Our life is in Christ. 
as God looks at Jesus as right and pure and holy, God looks at us as right and pure and holy. That's how he views us. And we might think, well, you know, I've been told all my life I'm just a sinner and I'm, you know, I'm a wretch, right? We sung the song, I'm a wretch, and that's who I am, and Jesus is the holy one. The good news means that God looks at you as he looks at Jesus, that God looks at you as righteous as Jesus. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. He is as proud of you as he is of Jesus. It's hard for us to connect that our life is somehow linked with the life of Christ. He's the holy one, and I'm just a sinner. I've been told that my whole life. I used to do something as a, uh, a youth pastor back in the day when dinosaurs roamed the earth. I would do this at camps, right? And uh, I'd have everybody stand up. I'm not going to do that with you because it would be awkward and you'd think it was a trick, and it is totally a trick. But I'd have everybody stand up, and uh, they'd want to get the wiggles out anyway, so they start murmuring, murmur, 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 standing up. And I would say, listen, if you believe God is proud of you, stay standing. God, about half the crew would just drop <laughs> Because they're usually high school kids that were told their entire lives how terrible they were, and they need to obey, 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 and they're sinners, 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 and God can't be proud of me, and they sit fast. They sit fast. God cannot be proud of me. I'd ask a second question. Remain standing if you think God is as proud of you as he is of your pastor. A couple of people would sit. Most people would say, I know my pastor. <laughs> they stay standing. Another question. Remain standing if you think God is as proud of you as the missionaries serving overseas in third world countries. Oh, wow, they're the heroes of the faith, right? And rightfully so. They're out there, and they've left everything behind here, and they're serving people, particularly really broken and poor, oppressed people. Wow, they are at the top, and a lot of people would say, God is not as proud of me as he is of, the, of those missionaries. They're awesome. Remain standing if you think God is as proud of you, and this is going to date me as much as The Shining, but remain standing if God is as proud of you as Billy Graham you're 30 years and younger, you're going, Billy who? Billy Graham. He's, you know, back in the day, he's, it's like father, son, spirit, Billy. He was the guy, the dude, right? But I'm not as righteous as Billy Graham. Sit, sit, sit. There'd only be a couple of knuckleheads who want attention standing up. That's kind of how that worked. But then the mother of all questions. Remain standing if you think God is as proud of you as Jesus Christ. And <laughs> down. <laughs> Nobody's standing. God is certainly not as proud of me as Jesus Christ. Now, as you kind of go through that exercise in your own mind, where would you sit? Now, the reality of the good news of Jesus is that none of us should sit. None of us should sit. If we understood the gospel, if we understood the good news, if we understood how much God loves us, how much God accepts us, how much our sin is nothing to him. Did you get that? Our sin is nothing to him. Jesus died for it all. The entire sin of the world was poured out upon Jesus and it crushed him and he died because of it. But he rose again from the dead. So our sin is nothing to God. It is forgiven. And he looks at us as pure and he looks at us as perfect and he looks at us as righteous and he looks at us as forgiven. And he apotechanumes us as much as he apotechanumes Jesus. He's proud of us. We would all be standing strong, tall, shoulders back, head, head up. God is proud of me. That's what it means for our life to be in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21. We could all say this. We should all say this boldly. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus was pure and perfect in every human way. We are not. But that's grace, right? God says, I, I know what goes on in your life. I, I get it. But you're my daughter. You're my son. Yeah, but I'm a sinner. I, no, you're my 
son, you're my daughter, you're my child. I guilt and shame, no, no, no. You're forgiven. In my mind, you are perfect. I accept you the way I accept Jesus. I love you the way I love Jesus. You are my child the way Jesus is my child. You and Jesus. That's the good news. That's only by grace. That's what it means for our life to be covered in the life of Christ. His story is our story. But what about the suffering of Jesus? The terrible fall of Christ. The terrible fall of Christ. Even Jesus, the perfect one, suffered. What does that mean? That means that suffering has nothing to do with how good or bad we are. If Jesus suffered, and he suffered intensely, in fact, you can kind of argue on some level that Jesus suffered more intensely than any of us will as he took the failures of the world upon himself, right? So if the Holy One could suffer so intensely, that means all of us are susceptible to suffering. And let me just be clear, all of us will suffer. Suffering is inescapable. We hope it will not be intense. We hope it will be temporary, but suffering is inescapable. If the Holy One of God, the Holy Son of God, can suffer so intensely, all of us are susceptible to suffering. Suffering is not a punishment for failure. Suffering is not a punishment for sin. Suffering is not some divine retribution. You know, you're not perfect, and so you're going to get it now, right? You did something wrong, so something wrong is coming to you. You're not quite praying right or going to church right or reading your Bible right. Something's going to happen to you. That whole idea of retribution or karma or whatever you want to call it is garbage. It's nonsense. How do we know that? Because the perfect one suffered. So it has nothing to do with guilt. It has nothing to do with sin. It has nothing to do with retribution. It's just this world is broken. And broken things happen in this world. Now, if you do something dumb and suffer, well, that's on you. (laughs) If you decide to whatever, do something dumb, and you get hurt doing something dumb, well, that's kind of on you. That's called consequences. But if you have a disease, if you lost a loved one, if you're dealing with with relational problems and emotional problems and all the suffering that kind of tends to pour upon us in normal times, and that suffering is ramped up in times like this, suffering is not related to punishing anything you've done. We know that because Jesus, the perfect one, suffered intensely. Hebrews 5, 7. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings. He pleaded with his father, right? This is a reference to Gethsemane, where he's begging his father, begging God to avoid the suffering of crucifixion with loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Jesus was asking God, please, Please do not bring the suffering upon me. And God says, no, you will suffer. You're a human being on this world, and human beings suffer. You will suffer as well. Jesus was raised and lived in a broken world, and so he suffered. And he actually brought goodness and light into a dark world, and so the darkness would have nothing to do with it, and the darkness crushed him. It was ordained that Jesus would suffer like we suffer. It was ordained that Jesus would die like we die. Fully human. Fully human. With all of the highs of his incredible ascent in ministry, with tens of thousands of people flocking to him, right? We have successes too. We have, we have you know, great uh, moments in life where we are 
you know, followed or, or successful or we achieve our goals. We have those moments too, but Jesus suffered and we will suffer as well. Jesus put aside his divine powers and experienced human suffering in such an intense way. He was rejected even by his own hometown, even by his own family. Jesus was betrayed. One of his best friends turned him in for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus prayed to be delivered from suffering, and his father denied his request. Jesus was abandoned. In his worst hour, his disciples ran for the hills. Jesus felt the torment of being alone. He says to his disciples, begging his disciples, can't you be with me for a minute and pray with me? Jesus felt the disappointment of unanswered prayer. Jesus was falsely accused. He was unjustly abused by authorities. He was tried unfairly. He was publicly humiliated, stripped naked, tortured in the streets of Jerusalem, brutalized. He was crucified, dying a horrific death, displaying the worst violence that one human being can perpetrate upon another. Jesus felt the agony of being forsaken. Even on the cross, quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt alone and abandoned, not just by his supposed friends, but by God himself. And after six hours on the cross, Jesus breathed his last breath and died. It was ordained that Jesus would suffer like we suffer, and it was ordained that Jesus would die like we die. So if you have suffered rejection in any way, if you have suffered rejection by friends, by family, you are crucified with Jesus. You are linked with Jesus. He experienced that as well. If you've suffered betrayal, Jesus suffered betrayal and you are crucified with Christ. If you had a spouse leave or betray their vows or parents left you or a friend stabbed you in the back, you've been the victim of gossip. Jesus understands all of that. You are crucified with Christ. If you've suffered emotional torment, Jesus understands emotional torment. He felt alone. He suffered the emotional torment of being by himself in his darkest hour. And so you are crucified with Christ. If you have suffered any kind of persecution for doing the right thing, Jesus understands you're crucified with Christ. If you've prayed God to take away suffering or take away sufferings of, of people you love and still they suffer, if you've had unanswered prayers in your life, Jesus has experienced the exact same thing and you are crucified with Christ. If you have suffered injustice because of the color of your skin or because of poverty or because of who you are, because someone wanted to get ahead of you at your expense, Jesus experienced the same thing. He experienced the same discrimination because he was Jewish, because he was impoverished, because he had no voice, because he was a victim, because he was oppressed, because he was conquered. He experienced it all. Any injustice that you have experienced, Jesus has experienced. You have been crucified with Christ. If you've suffered pain, physical pain from injury or disease, Jesus has experienced that pain. You're crucified with Christ. If you've experienced death, the death of a loved one, the death of a spouse, the death of a child. Perhaps you're facing a diagnosis that could threaten your life. Perhaps you're just wrestling with your own mortality. You've been crucified with Christ. He understands the experience with death. That links our lives together. 
Our suffering is linked with the suffering of Jesus. So in Hebrews, it said we have a high priest, Jesus, this high priest who understands our weaknesses. He's not just a God out there somewhere mysterious that we're trying somehow to, to figure out. He was here and he was a human being and he suffered the way we suffer. So he's a high priest who understands or empathizes with our weakness for he faced all of the same tests we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. When you struggle, you can pray with absolute confidence that God knows exactly what you're going through. That his heart breaks with yours and he hurts with you. He may bring deliverance, he may not. He didn't bring deliverance to Jesus, his only begotten son. But in that throne room, when you're praying, when you're thinking about God, he knows what you're going through. So there in that throne room, you will receive his mercy and will find grace to help when you need it the most. So if you're suffering or someone you love is suffering, you are crucified with Christ, he understands what you're going through. He has been there. And because he's been there, you can have that relationship with Jesus, a true camaraderie with Jesus, not just a distant God, but Jesus, the fullness of God who fully suffered. But the story doesn't end there. Thank God there is a comeback. There is a resurrection and there's a comeback for us all. There is a comeback for us all. There is the victory of comeback. Jesus experienced that at the resurrection, and we will experience a comeback. Some of that comeback might be here and now. Your business, if it has failed, may come back, hopefully sooner rather than later. If you have experienced you know, fear or emotional torment, I'm hoping that this continued anxiety that human beings are not wired for, we're heading into the one-year anniversary of stay-at-home and fear and numbers, and we are not wired for that. So hopefully there will be a comeback that we can experience. If you suffered loss and grief, there will be some recovery ahead, for sure. There will be a comeback here and now. But that comeback is more profound, maybe, than you even realize. 1 Timothy 3.16 says this, without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. The great mystery of our faith is that Christ was revealed in human body and vindicated by the Spirit. This is at the resurrection. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations he was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. The resurrection of Jesus is God's vindicating statement that not just will Jesus be vindicated, not, will, not just will Jesus be declared innocent, declared right, and all things made whole, but that's our story as well, wrapped up in the resurrection of Jesus. Our story will be one of comeback. Our story will be one of of resurrection. Our story will be one of vindication. And here's what vindication means. Vindication means declared innocent. Jesus was declared guilty when he was crucified. The sign over his head said, essentially traitor, king of the Jews, right? He claimed to be a king. Rome said, nope, he's crucified as a criminal. He's crucified as a traitor. The Jews crucified him for blasphemy. He's claiming to be the son of God. He's claiming to be God. We're crucifying him for the crime of blasphemy. So he was crucified and murdered for crimes, capital crimes. The resurrection vindicated him, declared him righteous. If Jesus was crucified as a criminal and stayed in the ground, we wouldn't be talking about him today. He would have been forever in the, in the annals of history as a criminal, a traitor and a blasphemer. But because he rose from the dead, it was God's profound statement that this one is innocent. He is not a traitor, and he is not a blasphemer. He is, in fact, my son. It's vindication. 
Vindication also means made right. It's God's promise. The resurrection is a promise that everything that is wrong in this world will be made right. At some point, this is the, our eternal hope, at some point, all that's wrong in this world will be made right. The resurrection establishes that that day will come. But for the moment, when we are bearing our cross, as the phrase goes, and I love that phrase, when we are bearing our cross, when we are experiencing a portion of the suffering of Jesus, when we suffer in our own way, that suffering links us with Jesus, not just in his death, but links us with Jesus in his resurrection. There is hope ahead. There is a comeback ahead. But here's a fascinating truth about the comeback, and I want this to settle in your hearts. When Jesus rose again from the dead, he didn't rise from the dead to go back to normal. He rose from the dead wounded, deeply wounded. I think sometimes we can kind of gloss over that. Jesus rose from the dead wounded. He rose from the dead with the wounds of his crucifixion intact. The wounds in his wrist, the wounds in his ankle, the wounds in his side, he rose wounded. His comeback was a journey of being wounded. And so when we think about our comeback, let's not be glib or trite about it, and let's not say, oh yeah, when we come back from our suffering, we want to come back to normal. That's not the way it works. We don't go back to normal when we've experienced suffering. We come back, but we come back wounded. You might remember when Jesus rose from the dead, he visited his disciples. It was this really cool deal. He just showed up and they're like, well, what are we seeing? What are we witnessing? Is this truly the resurrected Jesus? We heard he was raised. Now he's right there in front of us. And uh, Thomas wasn't there. I don't know what he was doing, probably playing pickleball. And so they got Thomas and they said, hey, Tom, Jesus rose again from the dead. He's like, no, that didn't happen. That's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard in my life. That's exactly what I would have said. That's insane. Oh yeah? Why don't you pay a visit? Jesus pays Thomas a visit. And out of love, Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger on the wounds in my hands. Put your hands on the wounds on my side. It's time to believe. Jesus was wounded. He was raised wounded. So our comeback story is a comeback story of woundedness. The trite way to look at it is, oh, we're going to get back to normal. That's not realistic. When we struggle, when we suffer, we emerge. We can emerge strong. We can emerge courageous. We can emerge determined. We can emerge more compassionate, more kind, more empathetic, the way Jesus emerged from his suffering as an empathetic high priest who can relate with our sufferings. But we're not going to emerge without the scars of our suffering. Jesus, to this day, is a wounded healer. In fact, we look at the book of Revelation, and throughout eternity, he bears the scars of his crucifixion. He is seen as the lamb who was slain. And so we will have a comeback, but it won't be a comeback to normal. We'll be wounded. We'll have scars. But we will be better, and we will be stronger, and we will be more kind. We'll have a more tender heart. We'll be more empathetic. We'll be more generous. And we'll be able to do more good in this world because we suffered. We don't get over suffering. We don't want to get over suffering. We want to be changed by suffering so that we can make the world a better place and advance the cause of Christ and we can be more merciful and, 
and advocate for justice and be more loving because we understood the heartache and pain of suffering. We can live as, as the wounded resurrected one because we've experienced the pain of the cross in our own lives. So our lives are, in fact, the story of Jesus. God is so proud of us. He knows our failures. But he says, I apotekinumo you. I am proud of you. I love you. You are as right to me as Jesus Christ. I accept you as much as I accept Jesus Christ. You are mine. Be proud of that. Be bold about that. But as Jesus suffered, you will suffer. And when you suffer, there will be very hard times. But I am with you. Jesus is with you. Jesus experienced it all. And now let's walk a comeback together. Let's walk a resurrection together where you will be wounded. You will be changed forever. But you will be stronger and more compassionate. And you'll be able to do more good for the world around you. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we, uh, we thank you that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus just isn't something we point back to in history. It's not just something Jesus did for us, but it's our very life. The life of Jesus is our life. You declare us as righteous, as holy, as blameless, as loved, as adored, as cherished as Jesus. You are proud of us. You declare that to the world. Thank you for that gift. We don't deserve it. But even as Jesus, the perfect one, suffered, we will suffer. And very often our suffering will make no sense. Our suffering is no retribution for evil. It is no paying back for things we've done wrong. It just happens in a broken world. And as Jesus suffered intensely, we will suffer, sometimes intensely. I pray that in our suffering, we would have this deep-seated foundational conviction that you are with us, that even when you don't answer our prayers our way, that you are hurting alongside of us, that you are giving us strength, that you are very real in our lives, there mystically and spiritually, but also there through the comfort of those around us, and you will get us through. You will cause that crucifixion to result in a resurrection. And in that resurrection, we will be wounded, we will be scarred, we will have the memories and the implications of what it was like to suffer. But God, you will raise us up stronger than ever. You will raise us up with compassion and mercy. You will raise us up with empathy and kindness. You will raise us up with the ability to advance the cause of Christ like never before. And so, God, would you make this resurrection story happen as we invite you to raise us up from our suffering, put us on solid ground, and make this world a better place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.